Season's greetings to you and your loved ones. May this Christmas be your healthiest to date. The Christmas cheer is infectious here at the Wellness Couch and we've put together one very special hamper for one very special Wellness Coucher. One lucky person who registers for any wellness-based camp event in 2019 will win a wellness hamper including a selection of primal alternative Christmas baked treats to enjoy on Christmas Day, two jars of bone broth from our good friends at Tone Made, that's one beef and one chicken, and a VIP upgrade to the wellness base camp you're attending, including front row seats, dinner with the speakers, and a whole lot more. Valued at over $400, this wellness hamper could be yours when you register for the Wellness Base Camp in Fremantle, Newcastle or Auckland. All the details are at thewellnessbasecamp.com and all you need to do is get your tickets before the stroke of midnight on Sunday, December 16. Happy, healthy Christmas to you from all of us here at The Wellness Couch. TheWellnessCouch.com Streaming wellness into your life. Welcome to Wellness Women Radio for the women with big dreams who dare to be different and who want to thrive in health, work and play. Dr. Ashley Bond and Dr. Andrea Huddleston bring you a weekly podcast to help you master true health and create an exceptional life. This episode of Wellness Women Radio is very proudly brought to you by Dinner Twist. Dr. Ashley and I want to let you in on a little secret of how we maintain our healthy whole foods lifestyle with very little time. And one of those ways is actually with Dinner Twist. So they plan, they shop, they deliver everything to our door to take all of the guesswork out of having really healthy meals for dinner each night. Um, I love Dinner Twist because they are a locally family-owned business here in Perth in Western Australia, and all of their produce is locally sourced and seasonal. So they are really invested in all of their suppliers as well, which is absolutely amazing. Everything is so fresh. Uh, Ashley and I both get the wholesome box, which is naturally gluten and dairy-free as well, and is very consistent with a paleo-type lifestyle as well. Uh, so it's, you know, completely consistent with, you know, the way that we want to eat and want to feed our loved ones too. This is also how I trick Dean into thinking that I can actually cook. So seriously, if I can do it, everybody can trust me. And their recipes are so delicious. They also have other options apart from the wholesome box. So they have a family box for bigger size families an express box. If you're really short on time, uh, as well as a vegan box too. Now we would love to give you the opportunity for you to actually try dinner twist and realize how healthy healthy, how delicious and how fresh it is, but also how much easier this is going to make life as well. So we have a special promo code for you, and that is going to give you $35 off your first box. And that is WWR for Wellness Women Radio. Um, So we would love you to uh, try for yourself. Don't take my word for it, but let me know what you think. Without further ado, ladies, onto the show. Hey there, wonderful Wellness Women listeners. Thank you so much for joining us tonight or today or <laughs> this morning, this evening, wherever you are in the world. Welcome. I'm Ashley. And I'm Andrea. And uh, today we're going to one of our, uh, I guess, favourite topics. This is all This is all her topic, actually. This is Dr. Andrea's, you know, the period whisperer kind of uh, bread and butter. It's what she does and loves every single day. So I'm um, pretty, pretty excited to kind of almost like interview you today, Andy, because this is like, <laughs> this is your thing. 
<laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, so uh, thanks for that, Ash. Uh, this is going to be an interesting one. So we're talking about something, uh, got a big, long, fancy name called metaragia, which essentially just means abnormal bleeding. So it, that could be abnormal vaginal or abnormal uterine bleeding. This used to be referred to as um, dysfunctional uterine bleeding, but I think that that had maybe just a poor connotation to it. So I think that's why they changed the name. And the reason we chose to do this topic tonight is because, uh, well, first things first, this is like what I said, this is kind of my bread and butter. This is like a very complex clinical conundrum that I see um, every single day that has like so many different causes and we'll get into that shortly. Um, and it's, it's pretty complicated. Uh, but the other reason that we chose to do this is because one of our one of our hormone resetters, um, I'm not going to mention her name, I'm going to try and keep it anonymous, but our reset group will know who I'm talking about, <laughs> um, who is a patient of mine um, and presented to me a little while ago with PCOS, but also um, prolonged breath prolonged bleeding and definitely, you know, this abnormal uh, uterine bleeding. And we got things under control. That was really great. Um, I think she was in for nine weeks straight and then things became under control and then it reared its ugly head again. And so she had this resurgence of, you know, really heavy um, prolonged bleeding again. And I know that so many women are in this scenario. So I've really got to, got to give you some information about what that means and what's happening happening too and isn't that the case too like so many of us as well are not sure like i mean you know we know if our period's missing um we know if it's going for too long we know if we're spotting in between but often we don't know what abnormal is um and i think that's so important to sort of highlight and define you know just because some things are common because you might tell a girlfriend and they go yeah yeah oh yeah that's that's cool i've had that too or oh yeah i get that too doesn't necessarily make it normal and so you know this is mm-hmm. obviously important uh factors to to talk about today and that has a lot to do with you know what we think is normal uh in contrast to what a a true normal true medical normal is and uh you know that's the biology of the human body that's that's a woman's body's i guess cycling and what that means to be to be natural to be normal uh compared to so much of the abnormal we see so yeah define i guess define normal for us first because the most important thing is Mm. we've got to have a foundation like okay we're going to talk about abnormal bleeding but it's one thing to have abnormal but what is what would be normal what does a normal period look like to a healthy cycling woman you know a fertile age I love that question because I have pretty high expectations <laughs> and what used to be considered normal uh, was you know, a cycle anywhere from 21 to 36 days long. But as far as I'm concerned, that's really old science. That's old evidence. As far as I'm concerned, a quote-unquote normal cycle is usually anywhere from, say, 27 to about 30, 32 days. I think so I'm giving you about a five-day window there. <laughs> I think anything further from either side of that is pushing into too much of hormonal dysregulation one way or the other. Now, I say this with the caveat that if you always have, say, a 26-day cycle, it's completely normal for you in the sense that, um, you know, it starts on day 26, you have about a five-day period. It starts off with fresh, um, you know, healthy-looking blood that's heavier for a couple of days, 
tapers off to nothing. You, 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 you know, might notice some ebbs and flows of, say, some mood changes or hormonal stuff throughout the month. Um, you can notice your ovulation symptoms, um, but you're not having big dramatic, um, you know, hormone withdrawal moods or, you know, pain or irregularity or anything like that. Then if a 26-day cycle is normal for you, then that's absolutely fine as long as it's not fraught with all of the symptoms that we've just talked about. Um, however, as far as I'm concerned, anything outside of that is abnormal. And about a quarter of the population have you know, an abnormal cycle, um, and a lot of that definitely is due to hormonal imbalances, that's for sure. But abnormal bleeding is a little bit different. So the bleeding itself, when it's considered abnormal, can be if it's lasting for more than seven days, if you're bleeding between cycles or if the bleeding is greater than 80 mils. So a normal period is only about, uh, sorry, an average period is about 35 mils of blood loss each month, uh, which really isn't that much. Um, so normal can be anywhere from, you know, average of about five up to about 60 mils and then excessive or too heavy is greater than 80 mils. And I know that's really hard to measure, but if you're using, say, a menstrual cup or something like that, you might be able to measure that way a little bit easier. <laughs> Yeah, and that's interesting too because, um, I mean, how many women, for example, using tampons, they might go through two, three, four soaked tampons in a day, you know, multiply that five days. You're definitely looking at excess of 80 mils uh, with that kind of volume. But for a lot of women, that's normal because they're like, oh, we always, you know, use a couple of tampons every day, fully soaked. Mm. Um, but we know that that's, you know, that would constitute what would be abnormal bleeding. So that's um, interesting. You should talk about that. Is there any other clues or signs that would indicate abnormal bleeding? The most typical thing that I hear is when they're getting mid-cycle spotting. Mm. So lots of women might be saying to me something like, oh, it's about day 12 of my cycle, or it's about day 14 and I've started spotting. Or they start spotting long before their period actually starts. So, um, you know, some women might tell me that they, you know, actually start some sort of hormone withdrawal bleeding, you know, at about day 20 and they'll have spotting until the actually period kicks off at about day 28. So all of those are definitely signs of abnormal uh, bleeding. And the the type of blood flow can also sometimes sort of indicate where it's actually coming from or the source might be. So that can be a little bit of a hint too. Um, so what do you mean by that? What, what do you mean by, I guess, type of blood flow? Because obviously, you know, we know sometimes, you know, you check and you can see, you know, heavy clotted materials and things mm -hmm. like that. What, uh, what other sort of indicators are there? If it's things like, um, you know, bleeding from, say, the cervix might be light, um, sort of spotting, whereas if it's a hormonal imbalance bleeding, then that can be anywhere along the spectrum from really light spotting to really heavy flooding. Um, and it could be, for example, if there's bleeding after sex or particularly if um, it's bleeding that's happening after menopause or postmenopausal, those two are things that can indicate really serious pathologies and need to be assessed immediately. Um, so, you know, just kind of keep that in mind with some of the things that we're talking about tonight. 
um, or today. It is it is quite late tonight for us over here <laughs> on this side of the world. Um, Ash, well, how, how good is this for my memory? So when I was like, okay, we're going to cover abnormal uterine bleeding, I know that I've covered this extensively in my um, postgraduate studies. So I was just looking through my uni notes and I wrote a 12-page essay on this and completely forgot about it. Like... <laughs> <laughs> and I was reading through my notes and it's definitely my writing, like it's definitely my language and the way I phrase things, but I have no recollection of writing that. Oh, it shows you, shows you what happens when you're multitasking. Something has to give. Brain uh, deals Terrible. with priorities and, and shuts certain things out, particularly when it requires high-stress deadlines and uh, timeframes. I can totally understand that. <laughs> it's hilarious. Oh, well, okay, so tell me this. I have a gorgeous client. Um, she's well, probably in the, the realms of perimenopausal with some of the signs mm-hmm. and symptoms, um, mm-hmm. but horrendous flooding, uh, so much so that – because she wanted to go on a holiday and didn't want to have the risk of flooding, she went and had to surgical procedures to um, basically, yeah, ablations to, to mm-hmm. deal with that. Now, this falls into the realms of abnormal bleeding, clearly. Yes. Oh, absolutely. And so why um, why is that the recommendation? Why would that be uh, something that women are suggested to do when they've got signs of abnormal bleeding? And endometrial ablation. Well, a particular woman doesn't, if they're comfortable with fertility and they're not wanting any more children, the ablation essentially cauterizes the endometrial lining uh, and, you know, really thins it out. So the chances of bleeding after that are fairly low. Um, sometimes women will again have a period post endometrial ablation, but it's fairly rare. Um, and particularly after the second one, it definitely usually doesn't come back. Um, Now, that's not appropriate for all types of abnormal bleeding, and particularly if you're still in childbearing years, um, then it's certainly not. Um, But interestingly enough, about half of, um, and I'm not talking about hysterectomy specifically right now, but the next step from the ablation is usually women will then have hysterectomy. Mm -hmm. In Australia, and I know these statistics are probably fairly well mirrored in the US as well, um, about half of the hysterectomies that are performed each year are because of that abnormal uterine bleeding. Um, but of those, 50% of those, only 50% then, so 25% of all the hysterectomies that are actually performed, the uterus is actually histolo- histologically normal. So meaning that this is the way I interpret it anyway, is that 25% of those were unnecessary, which I think is really, really sad. It is, isn't it? But I guess that comes from the the realms of looking at the body as a machine, you know, as a broken mm-hmm. broken organ. So if the organ's broken, cut it out. But obviously, you know, we're talking about regularly about how the you know lifestyle, stress factors, diet, um, you know, hormone balance coming from all of the different endocrine organs of the body. Just to remove an organ is not going to recalibrate the body's endocrine function. It's not going to remove the lifestyle toxicity and the stress that caused the dysfunction. So um, that probably is that, you know, category of 25%, like you said, that uh, to some degree are unnecessary because the appropriate lifestyle modifications have not been made to, you know, help that body harmonize. And I think that's the great tragedy, you know, when we're we're told that uh, we're broken. (laughs) And I think any woman who has had uh, or has irregular menstrual bleeding, um, and abnormal menstrual bleeding, they're often 
seen as broken, broken women, mm. you know, something's mm. wrong with them. They're, they're not womanly enough to have the right cycle, to have the right bleeding. Um, how do you, how do, I guess, how do you deal with that? Because that's something that for a woman to, to come in and to admit to the problem. And, you know, I often find, you know, the women who in my practice who have that experience and I usually, you know, refer them to you probably, um, you know, on those extreme cases where, you know, it's out of my scope to, to really dive into. But how do you deal with those women that, you know, they come in and they, yeah, they essentially seem like, you know, broken women? What, uh, where do you go first? What's the first thing you do when you find a woman with abnormal bleeding? Um, okay, so this is where we've got to get into some detail. So, so bear with me. Mm. Um, the first thing that, you, that we have to do is take a really detailed history. And for any of you who are seeing any kind of practitioner when it comes to abnormal uterine bleeding, this is something that should be happening. Um, so that history has to include, um, you know, their sexual health history, um, their past smears, the results of that, the frequency, their contraceptive choices. Um, has there been any history of like SCIs? Have there been any previous pregnancies, including termination, miscarriages, ectopic pregnancies? All of those sorts of things are helping us to put together like the pieces of the puzzle that's going to then figure out how we then classify the cause of the abnormal urine bleeding. And then when we get into actually classifying where it's coming from, there's a... Um, a mnemonic that we use on abbreviation, um, and the best way I can describe it is called Palm Coin, and that's P A L M C O E I N. And so this is like a classification system used in gynecology where we um, diagnose the cause of or source the cause of that abnormal uterine bleeding. So um, it can either be from structural causes, which is the palm part of that mnemonic, or non structural causes, which is the coin part of that. Um, so the P stands for polyps. So any, like, you know, polyps are benign, just emetrial lesions. They can also be on the cervix as well. Um, these might uh, also give a little bit of that kind of deep lower abdominal pain and, you know, abnormal bleeding as well can be really, really common, can be easily picked up on uh, a pap smear of the cervix that often they can be seen um, or just simply by ultrasound too. Um, the A of the palm is adenomyosis. So this is a complication of endometriosis usually when there's like that endometrial glandular tissue that's growing within the myometrium or the, the endometrial lining. Um, again, this will pretty much often come with pelvic pain. It'd be pretty unusual not to have pelvic pain with this because it's a pretty horrific condition um, and that abnormal bleeding too. The L in the palm is a leomyoma, which is uh, simply just a fibroid or myoma, uh, which we've talked about in, uh, you know, in depth in our fibroid issue that we did. And the M stands for malignancies or hyperplasia. So these things are a little bit more, um, obviously a bit more serious. These need to be investigated very thoroughly immediately, particularly if someone's having bleeding after sex or if someone who has stopped their period, so they're either like, you know, menopausal or postmenopausal and they've started bleeding again, that's absolutely when you have to, um, you know, think what is going on here. Um, now, when it comes to the non-structural causes, and I think these are the things that we're going to talk a little bit more about, um, the O in the, oh, hang on, the C in the Cohen part stands for coagulopies. So this is just bleeding disorders. So this could be things like von Willebrand's disease, factor 5 to 5 deficiencies, someone who's hemophiliac, um, and 
you can also lump in the drugs that cause bleeding conditions like warfarins and those sort of things as well. Um, and it's funny when, well, it's I shouldn't say it's funny because it's not funny, but when a patient comes in and says, you know, I'm having really, really heavy um, menstrual bleeding, but they're also on warfarin. So it's like, well, this is a really <laughs> tricky thing because, <laughs> you know, there's a reason why you're on the warfarin, which is in the blood in the first place. But uh, I'm digressing there. So the one that I really want to talk about is the O in the Cohen part of this, which is ovulatory dysfunction. So this is usually endocrine disorder. So this is from sources like hypothyroidism, polycystic ovarian syndrome, um, when there can be some like hepatic or liver failure issues. It can be from an ovulatory bleeding as well. So if someone is not actually ovulating in their cycle from a whole bunch of different hormonal reasons, then they're not getting the opposed estrogen by progesterone. Um, it can be if there's um, issues with the adrenals, um, ovarian failure, all sorts of things like done. Uh, and we'll come back to this, Ash, because I think that that's going to be the most relevant for our listeners. But just to finish off just what the potential other causes could be, um, can be endometrial causes, including endometriosis or iatrogenic, which means uh, so from medical intervention. So this could be from hormonal therapies, anticoagulants, um, androgens, or again, hormonal therapies, antipsychotics, and those sorts of drugs. And then the last part of it is simply not yet classified, which I think is ridiculous. But these can be things like trauma, um, foreign bodies, your tract infections, those sorts of things. Wow, uh, so, that's a that's a really yeah. I mean, what a great mnemonic that keeps it really clear and categorised. It keeps that um, you know directive in terms of the the seek and find mission. Figure out what's going on. It's really a nice yeah. way of looking at uh, the history and to acquire all the information. So, ladies, that's I mean that is kind of your bare minimum framework. If you're working with someone, that's the kind of information they need to make an accurate you know I guess if not diagnosis, an accurate assessment of where you are and what really needs to happen for you and, you know, if any appropriate referrals need to be made. So um, that's mm. that's cool. Thank you for insight of, uh, you know, what it takes to, <laughs> to dive deep into this cycling woman and just understanding how the body works and, and why it's doing what it's doing. So let's dive into the O, which, uh, you know, we're so keen mm. to, to go further in there. With regards to, um, obviously, ovulatory components and the endocrinal aspects this is a big one that we have dedicated entire episodes to isn't it really mm -hmm. we've got sort of subcategories on each of these and we've we've gone down we've done whole episodes on endometriosis and a whole episode on polycystic ovary syndrome um two actually and you know really just looking because these are the most common things aren't they i guess yeah. there's always the abstract there's always the possibility something's more sinister or you know something else is going on but for the majority of cases this is the realm where we have the most opportunity to to intervene and to help with yes definitely uh and i think this is usually the part that i see women when i'm hoping all the other sort of causes have been ruled out um although you know we certainly have to investigate that through the history and um whenever it comes to abnormal bleeding as well everyone is considered pregnant until proven otherwise <laughs> um Fair so call. that's always the rule of thumb so yeah. that's why we'll request a pregnancy test even if that's just such a you know if it would be immaculate conception 
as Sony women tell me, but until proven otherwise, it's always, um, you know, has to be on the top of their uh, differential diagnosis list. And simply putting someone on the oral contraceptive pill to, con- um, to control animal bleeding, I think it's just such a disservice. Uh, but anyway, let's talk about ovulatory dysfunction and, and how and what happens. Um, so any disruption in the usual cyclical hormonal stimulation of the endometrium um, can lead to shedding of that endometrium because it's unstable. So, for example, if if you're not ovulating, you don't have the normal opposition of estrogen that kicks in and grows everything in that first phase of our cycle, um, and that's not opposed by progesterone. So part of progesterone's role is to actually maintain the integrity of the uterine lining. Um, so that endometrial proliferation is still happening. It's influenced by what's called a non-cyclical estrogen. So it's a continuous flow of those estrogens. So there's no break in it, which means that all of these normal structures that are supposed to grow and put in place during the cycle actually aren't happening. So even things like little, like spiral arterioles, which is little blood supply in the endometrium, plus a whole bunch of other structural changes aren't actually functioning And they can't actually nourish that developing uterine lining without the influence of progesterone. Um, So when there's imbalances between estrogen and progesterone in the ratios, this can be one of those really obvious um, and very common causes of this. It's quite difficult to deal with, but this is what I see really, really commonly. So without those structures in place, the blood vessels and circulation to the endometrium eventually fails because that tissue is really fragile and literally will fall away. Um, so that's that's one kind of mechanism as to how it happens. Um, it can also be if there is an immature or an impaired HPA access or the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis. So this can be why um, teenage girls can have, you know, some irregular periods. They might get some spotting, some mid-cycle spotting, those sorts of things because their HPA axis is still quite immature because it does take so many years for your body to get really get used to that influx of those reproductive hormones that kick in during puberty. But also that impaired HPA axis can be happening from really chronic stress as well. So when that rising estrogen um, uh, isn't actually, if it's not consistent or balanced enough to trigger uh, the luteinizing hormone release that then signals ovulation from your pituitary gland in your brain, that is just going to, you know, screw that whole mechanism. Um, And the other thing that I think is really interesting as well that can be leading to the abnormal uterine bleeding is a direct cause from insulin's impact on ovarian tissue. Um, so again, can be resulting in that on an ovulatory cycle. So it can be halting ovulation in the process. Um, this is something that we see in PCOS as well. Um, so also uh, speaks so true to how important diet and lifestyle changes are, particularly when it comes to regulating the cycle. Mm. And what um, let's just say. I guess I'm I'm curious about you know say for example heavy flooding bleeding because that's something that um, is probably most problematic. A lot of women, if it's lighter or absent, whilst it seems like a problem, it's probably not as debilitating or you know doesn't affect 
daily activity quite as much. Um, but, but, you know, excessively heavy bleedings absolutely do. And, you know, we've got uh, some ladies that we're working with at the moment that, you know, have mentioned they're so worried about it. It can, may even affect their, you know, desire to go outside or engage in the workplace or that because they're really worried about um, when it might hit and, you know, how heavy you might be because it's not just mm-hmm. like I'm going to have a bit of stain in my underwear. It's like it's going to run down my legs. It's, you know, it's such a heavy, heavy bleed. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. What's, what's that all about? You know, like just for our ladies to understand, like, why does that happen? Oh, look, Ash, there can be so many causes of that really heavy bleeding. Um, it could be some underlying conditions like endometriosis or fibroids that's actually causing it. Um, hormonally speaking, it's usually definitely in the balance of the massively excessive amounts of estrogen, which is the proliferative hormone that is causing lots of growth of the endometrial tissue, um, which then, and again, you know, you're saying that we use all the time, your hormones have to act like the symphony orchestra balance. So as we have this unopposed estrogen relative to lower progesterone, the way that, the best way I can describe how that anchors into the uterine lining is that imagine that your estrogen is like if you're building a, a wall, it's the bricks for the wall, right? So this is the, the thing that's growing, that's building that wall, whereas progesterone is making the, it's anchoring it in place, right? So it's like the cement between the bricks. Now, when we've got too many bricks or too much estrogen, then that is unopposed by the progesterone, which is huge, heavy flooding type periods. Um, absolutely, if there's fibroids as well, because they have the capacity and the ability to bleed within themselves. Um, but I think also if there are any other sort of clotting disorders, which you definitely need to have a look into, that can also cause that um, just a big flooding as well. But most often it's the hormonal imbalance component that we see. Gosh, and having excess estrogen, how uh, how much is our lifestyle geared towards that at the moment? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. You know, we, we talk about that often and uh, unfortunately the environmental uh, estrogenic load is horrendous and it's not just affecting women, it's affecting men too. So if you don't mm. know what we mean by that, you'll have to go back into some of our older episodes and just listen to things like estrogen dominance just to understand where excessive estrogens come from and why that might uh, play a role in obviously heavier bleeding and heavier cycles and irregularity and obviously abnormal bleeding as well. Um, Cool. That's a pretty good rundown of, you know, the key factors involved in abnormal bleeding. So from what I, I take there, Andrew, is one most important thing, get an appropriate assessment, you know, mm-hmm. get, a, get a really thorough history and make sure the person that is taking that history knows all about that acronym you talked about. <laughs> um, yes, the PALM coin. The yes. PALM coin, because obviously that's, you know, a diagnostic criteria, which is, a, you know, a critical piece of solving the problem. Um, two, we, we would look at your lifestyle factors, you know, what lifestyle factors are, are driving your body balance uh, away from what we call homeostasis, from that that middle balance ground. And these can be things like poor dietary choices. This can be carrying excessive weight, excessive stress, um, you know, even just things like, you know, traveling a lot. So, you know, switches in time zone shifts and sleep pattern irregularities. Mm-hmm. These all have the ability to, to throw your body way out of kilter. Um 
exercise as well, you know, activity, sedentary levels, activity levels, just making sure that you're moderate uh, in all of those things, not too active in terms of excessiveness of exercise, not too sedentary because neither is uh, conducive to good hormonal balance. So that's another challenge I think for a lot of people where either it's an all or nothing game isn't it where we're too much of one thing not enough of another and uh, the body is just that it's this gorgeous symphony as you described of of things that interplay you know all the hormones interplay with each other and therefore we can't afford to be excessive in any one direction whether it be with food choices whether it be lifestyle choices you know excessively stressed or excessively relaxed because even excessively relaxed doesn't apply appropriate challenge which we know is um you know termed eustress which is positive stress on the body so just goes to show this is a classic example of how moderation throughout our lifestyle in so many aspects um, can actually be one of the key healing tools and repair tools for getting the body back in balance. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, Ash. I love that. And, you know, we might do another episode because I think that there's definitely lots of parts to this where we actually look at, okay, what are some really good viable, you know, targeted lifestyle strategies um, as well as, you know, maybe the the proven functional medicine approaches to addressing the ovulatory causes of, um, you know, metarabia or the abnormal uterine bleeding. I think that we've definitely given you a little, little taste of the extent of it today. Um, so I think next time we'll go more into that, which I think that you'll you'll all probably find interesting rather than me just sort of putting my nerdy hat on. Um, but just remember that if you have or are having abnormal uterine bleeding, if you haven't had an adequate assessment, then that's definitely what you need. You need someone who can really go through all of these um, causes with you and then do a proper follow-up, um, you know, whatever that, that might mean for you. Uh, so, ladies, we, we would love to hear from you. We'd love to know if you've been suffering from anything like this before and if you've done anything that's been really successful that has helped you along the way. Um, so you can communicate with us on social media. So facebook.com forward slash the wellness women. We're on Instagram at the wellness women official. Um, and don't forget, you can email us at info at the We are absolutely here if you need, um, you know, uh, help and support and you can consult with us in our private practices as well if need be. Uh, so ladies, um, we would love to hear from you. Make sure that you have subscribed to us on iTunes or whatever whatever platform that you're using. Give us a five-star rating if you think we deserve that because we love that. But until next week, be well. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.